Are you looking for a way to save a little money? What about getting your subscriptions under control? If so, then I've got just the solution for you. Rocket Money. With the help of Rocket Money, I was able to find a subscription that I completely forgot to cancel before the free trial was up. I'm sure you've all been there. And Rocket Money can help me cancel it. Between streaming platforms, apps, delivery services, and even parenting and kids subscriptions, it's hard to keep track of exactly what you're spending and how much it all adds up to each and every month. Not to mention the fact that it seems every single day one of those subscriptions suddenly jumps up in price. Rocket Money alerts you when this happens so you're never caught unawares. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With them, I can see clearly what my monthly spending is and how it compares to the month before, making saving money and taking control over my finances so much easier. They'll also try to negotiate lowering your bills up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll even deal with customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. That's rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Rocketmoney.com slash morning cup. Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder... There are some murders that will live in our history books until the end of time. On May 21st, 1979, a man was convicted for murdering a groundbreaking politician, taking him away from California and the world before he could change things for the better. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Daniel James White was born on September 2nd, 1946, in Long Beach, California, and raised in an Irish-American family with eight other siblings in San Francisco. Despite being expelled in high school for violence, Dan graduated valedictorian of his class, enlisted in the U.S. Army in June of 1965, and served as a sergeant in the 101st Airborne Division in the Vietnam War, before being honorably discharged in 1971. After serving in the military, Dan worked as a security guard at a high school in Anchorage, Alaska, but returned to San Francisco to work as a police officer. Though, according to a newspaper account, he quit the force after reporting another officer for beating a handcuffed suspect. 
The All-American boy then moved on to the local fire department, where he proved his bravery once again by saving a woman and her baby from their seventh-floor apartment. He was well-liked, courageous, and a man who loved to serve his people, which is why a leap into politics seemed like the next logical step. He was elected as a Democrat to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors for District 8 in 1977, with strong support coming from the local police and firefighters union. His district, from which he had full support, was a largely white, middle-class area of San Francisco, who was not altogether pleased with the growing homosexual community. And they were looking to Dan to defend them and their home. Since the end of World War II, San Francisco had become a major port city, and gay men who had been expelled from the military made the area their home rather than return to their hometowns. So by 1969, the Kinsey Institute believed that there were more gay men and women in San Francisco per capita than any other American city. Unfortunately, that did not necessarily mean that they were any more accepted. Enter a man named Harvey Milk. Harvey was born on May 22, 1930, and, much like Dan, went on to join the military just after high school. Serving in the Navy during the Korean War and working aboard the submarine rescue ship, the USS Kittawake, as a diving officer. With his service done, Harvey began teaching at the George W. Hewlett High School on Long Island, and in 1956, met a man named Joe Campbell in Queens Island. Harvey immediately fell in love with the young man and, despite their six-year age difference, pursued him passionately for the entirety of their six-year relationship. Eventually, the couple decided to move to Dallas, Texas, though they pretty quickly returned to the city where Harvey picked up a job as an actuarial statistician at an insurance firm. Unfortunately, Harvey and Joe split up after six years, and though Harvey would go on to date other men in his lifetime, he made it a point of keeping those relationships much more private. He stopped working at the insurance company and became a researcher on Wall Street, but from the beginning showed very little passion for his job. His heart just wasn't in it. This is around the time he met and started dating Jack Galen McKinley, who recruited Harvey to work on Barry Goldwater's 1964 presidential campaign, introducing Harvey to the world of politics. Eventually, the lore of San Francisco moved both Harvey and Jack to California, though their relationship would end soon thereafter. Harvey, who was much more conservative in his views, began drifting between California, Texas, and New York, where he got involved with a theater company and spent a lot of time with a large group of, quote, flower children, who began to open his eyes and chip away at the conservatism. Returning to San Francisco, Harvey and his partner at the time, Scott Smith, opened a camera store on Castro Street with their last thousand dollars and, once and for all, settled into California life. Now, as I said earlier, just because there was a large LGBTQ plus population in the area didn't mean they were treated fairly. In the late 1960s, the Society for Individual Rights and Daughters of Bilitis worked against the police's persecution of gay bars and entrapment in San Francisco. In fact, oral sex was still a felony. And in 1970, 90 or so men and women were arrested for having sex in public parks at night. And in 1971, 2,800 gay men were arrested for public sex in San Francisco alone. 
Basically, the government and police were working diligently to target areas that they knew the LGBTQ population frequented and arrest them for what they could just to get them off the streets, making it an extremely dangerous time to be queer. But at the same time, government officials needed their votes and recognized the growing clout that they had in the city. One day in 1973, a state bureaucrat walked into Harvey's camera shop, Castro Camera, and informed him that he owed $100 as a deposit against sales tax. Harvey, who had become much more interested in politics and civic matters, knew his rights and started to argue with the man about the rights of a business owner, eventually getting it reduced to $30. The event left Harvey fuming, and he was made even more angry when a local teacher came into his store looking to borrow a projector because the one in the school did not function anymore. So he decided to do something about all of that anger and made the decision to run for city supervisor, saying, quote, I finally reached the point where I knew I had to become involved or shut up. Harvey was a born politician and for a while tried to run without any money, support or a staff relying solely on his message of sound financial management and promoting individuals over large corporations and government. He was loud, fiery, and flamboyant, and fought for things like supervisor elections so they could reduce the influence of money and give neighborhoods more control over their representatives, opposed government interference in private sexual matters, the legalization of marijuana, and more money for schools, and in the end, earned 16,900 votes, sweeping the Castro district, but placing him in 10th place out of 32 candidates. If the election had been organized the way he was fighting for, he would have won. He ran unsuccessfully three times, but his unique method of campaigning earned him a lot of popularity. So much so that in 1973, he finally won a seat as city supervisor, making him the first openly gay elected official in the history of California, the first non-incumbent openly gay man in the United States to win an election for public office, and his swearing-in national news. Almost immediately, Harvey started to make waves. During his 11 months in office, Harvey sponsored a bill banning discrimination in public accommodations, housing, and employment based on sexual orientation. The bill was passed and signed into law by Mayor George Moscone. Now, please understand, this is the bare minimum information about this fast-paced and historical career, as well as the career of Dan White, who, as many of you know, is integral to this story. Despite their vastly different personal differences, Dan and Harvey had several political agreements and worked fairly well together. In fact, Harvey was one of only three people from City Hall invited to the baptism of Dan's newborn child shortly after the election, which is what makes the events of November 27, 1978, all that more devastating. The downward spiral of their relationship came in April of 1978, when the Catholic Church proposed a facility for juvenile offenders who had committed murder, arson, rape, and other crimes to be operated in a church in Dan's district. Dan strongly opposed the facility and what it would do to their neighborhood, while Harvey fully supported it. After this, their once-friendly relationship was completely on the outs, and the pair clashed constantly. 
Eventually, the disagreement with Harvey and the other members of the board led to Dan's resignation on November 10, 1978, citing dissatisfaction with what he saw as the corrupt inner workings of San Francisco politics, as well as difficulty making a living. He attempted to open his own baked potato stand, which failed and, on November 14, 1978, reversed his resignation after his supporters lobbied for him to seek reappointment from Mayor Moscone. The mayor initially agreed to Dan's reversal, but later refused at the urging of members of the board, like Harvey Milk. Furious, Dan visited City Hall on November 27, 1978, climbed through a first-floor window, and, carrying a 38 caliber Smith & Wesson, entered George Moscone's office and pleaded with him to be reinstated. When he refused, Dan leveled his gun and shot him in the shoulder, chest, and twice in the head. He then walked to the other side of the building to Harvey Milk's office reloaded the gun, and shot Harvey five times, with the final two being fired with the barrel pressed to his head. It was only after he left the building that both bodies were found, as those who heard the shots assumed it was a nearby car backfiring. A statement was made to the public both about the murder and naming Supervisor Dan White as the suspect. He turned himself in the same day. A candlelight march took place in honor of the man they called the Mayor of Castro Street with the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir singing a hymn for the fallen trailblazer. And both George Moscone and Harvey Milk lay in state at San Francisco City Hall before George's funeral, attended by over 4,500 people and Harvey's cremation. Dan White was charged with first-degree murder with special circumstances, a crime that gave the strong potential of the death penalty. But his defense went to court claiming he was depressed at the time of the shootings, made evident by changes in his diet. According to media reports, which have since been deemed inaccurate by many, Dan's defense lawyers presented junk food consumption as the cause of his mental state, leading to the term Twinkie defense. Regardless, the jury accepted the arguments for depression, and on May 21, 1979, Dan was convicted of the lesser crime of voluntary manslaughter and was later sentenced to serve just seven years and eight months in prison. The verdict was, to say the least, highly controversial. In fact, many San Franciscans believe Dan White literally got away with murder and were outraged by the court's decisions claiming homophobia was a motivating factor. Following the verdict, marchers referred to as the White Knight Riots erupted in the Castro District, with crowds chanting Avenge Harvey Milk and some rioters throwing stones to the windows of City Hall. Dan White served just five years of his seven-year sentence and was placed on parole. Fearing he might be murdered by angry mobs, the California State of Corrections secretly transported him to Los Angeles, where he lived for less than two years before voluntarily returning to the city that hated him. Before doing so, Mayor Diane Feinstein, who took over when George Moscone was murdered, issued a public announcement of his plans and formally asked him not to return. Dan White did not stay in San Francisco for long, and on October 21st, 1985, his body was discovered by his brother inside of his car, having completed suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. 
1998, the San Jose Mercury News and San Francisco newspaper reported a story from Frank Falzone, a homicide detective who admitted to meeting Dan White in 1984. When they spoke, Dan admitted that not only was the double murder premeditated, meaning he in no way should have received a manslaughter conviction, but that he had intentions of killing two others in the building, saying he was, quote, on a mission. Despite his short time in office, Harvey Milk became an icon in San Francisco and a martyr to the LGBTQ plus community. Later called, quote, the most famous and most significantly open LGBT official ever elected to the United States, Harvey was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on May 22nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.